This message first aired on the radio on July 25, 2003. Taking up the life of Abraham here as we turn the corner into another dispensation called the Dispensation of Promise. Once again, I I do not feel it necessary to change the name that others have given to that dispensation. I don't, I don't say it's properly named, but it's good enough. I haven't got a better one. It's really a dispensation marked by Abraham. And if you think about the dispensations, they're really marked by the men who characterize them. We might say the first is the dispensation of Adam and the dispensation of innocence. The second one, we might say the dispensation of conscience, really marked by Cain. You could say the dispensation of Cain, and or Abel, if you prefer, uh, to keep it to the faithful. And the dispensation we just completed, uh, certainly we would we would want to call it the dispensation of Noah, if we were to name it after someone. And it resulted in, uh, as you recall, it resulted in God having to come down and bring judgment and confuse the languages of the of the nations spread them out uh, by by and by so confusing he spread them out across the face of of the landmass which was the earth at that time then he divided the earth and drifted them off uh, away from each other to keep them out of trouble just like you might do with your children when they get in trouble together you might isolate them first of all you come in and break up their whatever it is they're doing and then you might put one in one corner one in the other corner i, I know those kind of things are unpopular today but uh, you do divide them up and find out that as long as they're away from each other, they can't get into enough evil. But as they begin to get together, they find a way to get into evil together. So it is with really the nature of man. Now God is left with corrupted truth. He stuck the truth in the heavens. Nimrod and his religion with his tower corrupted that truth. And then that corruption scattered throughout the whole world. And so God now, in, in his uh, desire to preserve the race so that he can bring a Savior forth from the race, and to preserve the truth because only the truth keeps man free from the ravages of sin. God has another plan, and really his plan during this period of time is his plan is Abraham. So we call this this period of time that we're going to discuss, which really is the life of from the time from Abraham to really to the time of Moses. We're going to call it the dispensation of promise, where where God called Abraham out from the world into a land that he would show him, and uh, began, talked to him, and had him hold the faith, and through Abraham, the whole world would be blessed, as Abraham would now bring the truth to those defiant nations who were scattered uh, throughout the whole earth, or at least that's God's plan, was to take Abraham have him carry the truth, and then raise up a nation out of Abraham's loins that would bring the truth to the whole earth. Now, that never happened, and of course we see the failure of man again. We're going to see the failure of man, but that's true in every dispensation, that we will just see God being faithful, man being unfaithful, and then, as we said it yesterday, man defecting and God reacting to man's defection. Well, as we take up the enormous subject of Abraham, we have to start somewhere, so we might well start where Abraham started in Ur of the Chaldees. We really find a, a natural break in the book of Genesis to open this up to us, and it is in the 27th verse of the 11th chapter where it says, now these are the generations of Terah. Very interesting 
that it says the generations of Terah instead of the generations of Abraham or of Abram. But the reason it says the generations of Terah is because we have to comprehend both Abram and Lot to find those who represent, not only who are representative, but those who are believers in God from that time. So we have now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. So we have three brothers, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. So we see where they're situated. We see the unusual circumstance, and really the first time it's ever referenced in in the Bible that someone dies before his father does. We we aren't given how Haran dies, but Haran dies uh, before his father Terah in Ur of the Chaldees. And Ur of the Chaldees is not some nice little holdout of the faith. This is right in the heart. This is the city of the Chaldees. It's likely you could you would find it just to the west of the Euphrates River. So you'd find it on, we might say, this side of the what they call the flood or the Euphrates River, and it's in the heart of the of the land of Babel. It's certainly in the heart of the land of Shinar, which is where Nimrod's kingdom began. So here we have a man, and we're going to be talking about Abram, of course, because he's the central figure. We might even say Abram is the central individual in the whole Old Testament. Abram is begins in the very heart of the enmity against God in Ur of the Chaldees. And it tells us that the surviving brothers, Abram and Nahor, took wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran. We, we will see that from Nahor will descend some believing people, but that's not our subject. Here in this dispensation, our subject is is Abram and the situation of Abram. He's about 70 years old here, and he has no son. His wife is barren. His wife was not able to give birth. The Bible teaches us that the Lord opens the womb and the Lord closes the womb. And we don't like to think that. We like to think that man can do whatever he feels like whenever he feels like it. And so many of us have bought into certain lies. I can't tell you how many uh, young couples I know who who grow older together, who who have been taught by somebody, maybe a university professor, some other pagan, maybe their their pastor, or someone else uh, who who might oppose the the scripture, and they're told, well, you plan your family well. Their parents certainly come in and say, you plan your family well. You wait, don't have children, take measures not to have children now, so that you're settled and you know your wife better, and you, and all kind of uh, reasons not found in the Bible to avoid the blessing from the Lord that children are, they, they then take measures not to have children uh, together because they say, well, we're going to have two children, and we're going to have one at this time, and we're going to have another at that time, and only to find out that God actually opens and closes the womb and uh, when they want to have children, they can't. I've known many heartbroken couples who put off having children and then couldn't have them when they wanted them. 
So this is the situation of Abram and Sarai. He's 70 years old. She's not much younger, and they don't have any children, and that's too bad. And the Bible always looks upon childlessness. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Now, you'll you'll know that both Abram and Sarai become Abraham and Sarah, and won't you forgive me if I uh, give the wrong name for them? At the, I mean, if I give their future name to them uh, before God does it in this account, I hope you will. So here now, Terah took Abram his son, verse 31, and Lot his son. And, and here's something else I want to point out to you. In the Bible, you see that Terah here is a couple hundred years old, and or, or, or uh, he's about 200 years old, and he takes his son Abram and his 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 grandson Lot and uh, and his daughter-in-law he takes them from Ur of the Chaldees and they come to a place called Haran and dwelt there and they and they they leave there. But what I want to mention here, just so that you think about this for a little bit, is here's a 200-year-old man taking a 70-year-old man, his son, with him. And I want to say something about fathers and sons. The Bible tells us that when a man gets married for this cause, shall he leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. And that's a true thing. That man has to become an independent ruling party at that time. But don't you think for one minute that being an independent ruling party of your own home means that you disregard your father? I had uh, the wonderful privilege of seeing my father receive Christ as his Savior late in his life while he was 58. Uh, through my youth, I did have a good relationship, sometimes rocky, but a good relationship with my father. I didn't listen to him that as much as I should have. But as a saved young man, and and when my father was saved, I had a wonderful relationship with my father into my middle 30s when he, when he died. Uh, but through my 30s, uh, as long as he was alive, I had a wonderful relationship with my father and never uh, went against his counsel. I never found it necessary to do that and sought my father's counsel out in detail in matters that perhaps he wasn't so familiar with. Because I knew that though my father wasn't very familiar with the matters that I dealt with, I was in high technology and so forth, I knew that my father knew me and cared for me. And I think that there is a discarding by young men of older men today, especially their fathers. But you'll notice that Abraham wasn't like that. He was a young man still at 70 in his father's sight. Now I realize you might need to scale this down a little bit because Terah lived to be 205 and and Abram lived to be 175 years old. And these are numbers that we don't see anymore. But take the point that this is the kind of man that Abram was. And you say, well, maybe he was just uh, not mature. Let me tell you that the reason that God chose Abraham is not, the, is not because he was some kind of panty waste. It was not because he was some kind of a fellow that was a wimp or a mama's boy or a little boy. This is a man who will assemble an army of 318 and whoop up on some kings. This is a man who ran quite an enterprise for, for his entire life, leading men, uh, leading men, and they were all men's men. And here's what the Lord said about Abraham in Genesis 18, verse 17. The Lord said 
Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And so the Lord knew that Abraham was a man who would command his children. And let me tell you, the first thing about commanding your children is to have proper regard for your own father. And that's what Abram had. And fathers, let me tell you this, if you want your sons to be good fathers, then you command them and you you don't advise them. You can advise them later. But when they're children, you command them, and they will come and seek your counsel later, and you will have the kind of fellowship, for example, that I had with my own father. You be, or that, and that, and that, that you'll be the kind of, they'll be the kind of man that Abram was. Some of us have come from uh, destroyed families. It has to start somewhere. And my Christian friend, let it start with you. Let it start with you to follow the Scripture. If you weren't properly raised, and you know that, no matter. You have the Scripture. You have your Father in heaven. Have a right relationship with Him, and learn from the Scriptures to command your son. Well, I wanted to say those two things about about family life because, really, in a way, we could call this a dispensation of family. God selects out a family and builds it into a household of faith here when he takes Abram. God starts from scratch, and he's going to build mighty nations out of Abram, and he's going to be an example of the faithful really throughout all the generations. Now, we're looking at the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. It tells us, really, that God had already called Abram. He said, Now the Lord, verse 1, had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So you see that Abraham is called in his family. All the families will be blessed through his family. And you also see that God will make a great nation from him, and that God will bless him and make his name great. But really, the the best blessing I see that Abraham has is that God told Abraham, you will be a blessing. And my friends, it's a wonderful thing to be blessed by God, and I don't suggest to you that uh, you... Uh, not seek that. Children are a blessing from the Lord, as we had said before. There are, there are, God has blessed the, the Christian today with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, and uh, those are wonderful things. But it is even more wonderful that God desires us to be a blessing. You can't be a blessing until you're blessed, but wonderfully, Abram, God said of Abram, thou shalt be a blessing, and that he would follow on. He said, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee. I'll suggest to you one of the things that I privately do in my Christian life is examine to see if I'm a blessing in the lives of others. Now, I don't always know if I am or not, but I do look to see if uh, if uh, I'm a blessing in the lives of others, and if I'm not, 
I really question God to show me why I'm not, what it is I may be doing wrong, or what it is that I need to do to be a blessing in the lives of others, because I believe that God's man should be a blessing to others. He should be a source of God's blessing, and that God does follow his own, not with signs and wonders, my friends, but with blessing. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Now many commentators uh, talk about Abram being disobedient for five years, that he had been called to leave, but he waited until his father died. But the Scripture doesn't so criticize him, and I'm not going to either. Verse 4, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. So when he was 70, he came into Haran, and then his, his father lived five more years, and died in Haran, which is in the land of Canaan, out of Ur of the Chaldees. And then he, Abram departed out of there, not knowing where he was going. That's what the Scripture tells us about Abram. It says that he went out not knowing whither. It tells us about his faith in Hebrews chapter 11, that he had faith to, to go out. Now, some here say, well, Abraham is not here saved. Abram is not saved yet. Well, he's heard the voice of God, and uh, it, it, it tells us in, in the book of Hebrews, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, this is Hebrews 11, verse 8, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether, whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, or tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So the Bible tells us two things here. One, when Abraham was called, it didn't say he, did, he, he didn't believe and disobeyed, as some say. It said he did go out, and uh, he went out in faith, and he responded to the word of God. And we have, therefore, the call of Abraham. And I want to say something about the call that God gives. We're told to make our calling and election, or our calling and our calling out, sure. Those are, those are referenced as two different things. Well, two related things, maybe not two different things, but two things. Make your calling and election sure. Here we see Abram is called out, is called, and then he's called out also for a particular purpose, and we're going to see that when we see his warfare. So the call of Abram is in Haran, is it was was first in Ur of the Chaldees. He waited until his father died in Haran, and then he went out to go into the land of Canaan, and that's where he sojourned, and he. The Lord appeared for him there in Genesis chapter 12, and it says, The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So the Lord personally came to Abram and began to promise him things. He told him, I will give your seed this land. We're reminded in the New Testament that it saith not seeds as of many, but seed as of one. And of course, uh, Abram has to keep in mind through this time that God is promising to make a great nation out of him, that he's promising to give his seed this land, and he has no son. 
Sarai is childless. He, he, he has to be thinking about how it is that God will do this. He has to be believing that what God has promised he is able to perform and that he will surely do what he says. And so when God speaks to him and gives him this promise, it says he built an altar unto the Lord. And this is what we find that, that Abram does. Abram builds altars unto the Lord. Now, we have in the Scripture these discussions of altars, and this is the place where a sacrifice is uh, then given and, and, and made. We know that the only way to come to God is the way through sacrifice. Uh, of course, we don't build altars except in the figurative sense. We don't come to God by way of animal sacrifice. We come to God by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we always come to God that way. It is a new and living way that we come to God, always through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We never get past that. We never need to get beyond that. We always come to God on the basis of Christ's shed blood. And so we also can build altars, although we don't need to make them out of stones. I've built a few things out of stone. I'm not interested in that. I thank God that I don't have to do to come to God that way. It's getting difficult these hot days. It's especially difficult. But we come to God on the basis of the shed blood of Christ. And Abram builds these altars as an act of faith where he believes God. You see, he, he makes a remembrance and although God doesn't tell us to build altars of stone or to do sacrifices today, he says, go and learn what this means. I'll have mercy and not sacrifice. We come to God through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we are to leave lives of remembrance, to remember God's faithfulness, and to also look forward to God's promise. And so here, Abram is a wonderful example, and you'll see that as long as Abram is walking by faith and not by sight, he will be building altars. It tells us in verse 8, for example, he removed from thence to a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And that is the word Jehovah. That is God in his covenant, in his covenant name. God has a few names. This name, the, the name Jehovah, we can say Jehovah. It's not really a pronounceable name, but we've given it some... We give it, we give it vowels so we can put it on the airwaves. And uh, he calls upon the covenant-keeping God, covenant-making and keeping God. And then we find what a kind of a guy Abram is. Now, I want to say something about the call of Abram. I want to say something in a summary form. And that is, until Abram gets out of that land until he gets out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees, until he gets away from the land of that false religion, God doesn't and can't speak to him except to say, get out. And my Christian friend, God calls you out. Maybe you've lived a religious life, and maybe you find yourself in a false religious system, and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and you believed in, you have believed in the Lord, and it's counted unto you for righteousness, you've been born again, and you're hanging around in Ur of the Chaldees. You're hanging around in the heart of a false religious system. Do you know that God wants you out? God does want you out. You, you get out of there, and, and, and you say, where will I go? Well, you won't know where you go. You just get out first so that God can speak to you. 
you get out. As the scripture says, come out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord, and I will receive you and you shall be my sons and my daughters. Now, you come out, God will receive you, God will speak to you, and God will lead you. Abram knew that, and uh, I know that. And so does any Christian who has found himself in a in a false religious system or in an unbiblical church to, 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 to come out from that, and God will speak to you, and he will lead you into a happy Christian fellowship with others who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. He'll see to it that that happens. Uh, don't ask me how he, he does that. That's his business how, but I tell you, he does it. Now Abram is faced, and we see that, so we see the kind of man Abram is, and we also see that Abram is a guy a lot like us. When he's faced with difficulties, he often fails. There was a famine in the land. He, he no sooner gets out into the land that God was going to show him, and he comes across a famine. A lot of times that's what happens to us. We uh, are. Uh, I wouldn't mislead you about the Christian life. It's not fun and games. The Christian life is not without its difficulties. The Christian life is a life of faith and not sight. And uh, even just to desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will bring about a persecution for you and difficulties. And Abram has to learn how to wait on God and depend only on God when he's in the land that God's showing him and a famine comes. We have the unhappy uh, statement in Genesis 12:10. There was a famine in the land. Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. And Egypt is a picture of the world and the world system, and it's always down for the believer. The the believer always goes down to Egypt. He he never goes up to Egypt. He only comes up out of Egypt, as Abram does in uh, in Genesis chapter 13. But in Genesis 12, verse 10, he goes down into Egypt to, to sojourn there. And while he's there, of course, he's in fear of those who who are in Egypt, because the the world has enmity against those who believe in God. Uh, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a cross of enmity. They hated him. They will also hate us. And so no sooner does Abram get down into Egypt, and he's worried that they're going to hit on his beautiful wife. Now, here he says to her, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Now, this is a woman near 70. I mean, this is a 60-something woman, beautiful to look upon. Of course, she's going to live a little longer than than ours uh, do. But now here's tricky Abram telling her this, Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, when they say this is his wife, they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. So Abram is afraid that these Egyptians, where he's going to hang with, who with whom he's going to hang, will kill him and take his wife. So he says to her, Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, uh, which is a word there for his close kinswoman, his sister. Of course, she's his cousin, but she's his cousin and his wife. But he says, you say you're my sister, uh, that it may be well with me for thy sake. You see, if she says that she's his sister, then they'll have to bargain with him, as they would put it, in order to to acquire a wife. Uh, then it says, my soul shall live because of thee. Now, this is a shifty action by Abram, really. It, this is what we call white lies. These are our excusable lies. 
A lie is something that is not the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. A lie is something that intends to mislead, even if it's just the truth said in such a way as to be misleading. Now, of course, uh, maybe this is what is a technical lie, but a lie nonetheless. Well, we, we won't look at all the details, but she tells the Egyptians, she's, uh, the story goes that she's his sister. Pharaoh takes this beautiful woman into his house. And the Lord brings a plague upon Pharaoh because of Sarai in his house. And Pharaoh calls Abram and said, What is it thou hast done unto me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you tell me she's your sister? Uh, So I might have even taken her to be my wife. Now take your wife and hit the bricks buster. They, They sent Abram away. Of course, he's in disgrace. He's ashamed. They that believe in the Lord, friends, are never brought into shame. But when you go outside of faith, when you go down into Egypt, the result is always the same. Go down into Egypt, end up in shame. Abram went down into Egypt, ended up in shame. And then we have Genesis 13. Abram went up out of Egypt and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the south and Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. Now, maybe you think that this is all the blessing of the Lord. And let me tell you, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, but it adds no sorrow to it. Abram and Lot come out rich in cattle and silver and gold. Lord prospered them. But it is few of us who can take prosperity. And so now we see Abram's called but we now see the separation of Abram and Lot. And this is not a happy circumstance. One of the reasons, uh, one of the great tests in life is material wealth. It is a test that very few believing people ever pass. But these riches that God may give us, that he may put in our hands, he does to test us to see if we'll be faithful with that which is least so that he can then commit to us the Word of God. Well, we're looking at the separation of Abram and Lot, and it's an unhappy circumstance. So we know that the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, but it doesn't add any sorrow to it. And here we're going to have a little bit of sorrow. So we don't look upon all of this as the blessing of the Lord. We see that Abram went down into Egypt Uh, He came up out of Egypt, he got great wealth, and that wasn't necessarily a blessing. Isn't it interesting how we talk to one another? If if we get a promotion, if we we find success in business, if we get a low price on an item that we're looking for, or if we get a high price of an item that we're selling, how we attribute that to God's blessing— and when we when we don't do so well, we never attribute that to God's blessing. Let me assure you that great increase in cattle, silver, and gold is not necessarily a blessing from God, as it brings great sorrow. Many trying to achieve these things have pierced themselves through, have stabbed themselves, have pierced themselves through, stabbed themselves with sorrow after sorrow after sorrow. My friends, I've uh, lived a Christian life for 20, about 28 years now. In that time, I have seen very many, very many people 
hear the word of God, rejoice at it, and walk away from the faith because they love the world. And that's really what Lot does. Uh, Abram and Lot, their men can't get along. They start fighting. There was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle, Genesis 13, 7, and the, the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And it says the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt then in the land. And so now the land is filling up with their enemies. And while the land is filling up with the enemies of God, and therefore Abram, and therefore Lot, while the land is filling up with enemies, do you think they're they're get, getting closer together, realizing that they need one another to fight these enemies? No, they're fighting each other and getting ready to separate. And when it's determined that they're going to separate, Abram says, Is not the whole land before thee? Separate from me yourself. You go one way, I'll go the other. You take your choice. This is a spiritual statement by Abraham. Abram says, you go your way. You pick the way you want to go. He lets the other man pick his way. Lot walks by sight, not by faith. He sees the well-watered lands of the plain of Jordan, and he picks the land that hosts Sodom and Gomorrah, and he chooses the plain of the Jordan and goes east, and they separate themselves one from another. Now, I want to say this. We... Uh, are to endeavor to keep the unity in the bond of uh, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace with our fellow Christian. But when it comes to ministry, when it comes to the something like uh, uh, we find our brothers and sisters who love the world, we cannot really stick with them when when they do that, and they go their way, and we we love them, but we don't go that way with them. In fact, it ends up that we separate ourselves from them or allow them to separate themselves from us, as it is really the case, uh, because we want to remain sanctified and fit for use. And Abraham remained separated. Abraham remained separated from the world. He remained sanctified. God had separated him out of Ur of the Chaldees. God had called him out into this land, and he remained out there, though it cost him his fellowship with his nephew, and that's because his nephew loved the world, first pitching his tent toward Sodom. Next thing we know, he's in Sodom. Uh, He's captured by the king of Sodom. Finally, we see him a city councilman of Sodom. Well, we've taken that subject up before, so we won't take it up now, but we will read this scripture out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll begin with verse 15. Give diligence to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as does a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus. How would you like to have your names in Scripture like Hymenius and Philetus do? Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So there are these fellows out there who will overthrow the faith of others. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his, first. And secondly, let every one that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. That is, there are some in a great house, 
which is what we wander around in today, my friends. There are some vessels fit for honorable use. There are other vessels which are fit for dishonorable use. You have your wine glass and you have your spittoon. You have your dinner plate and you have your ashtray. And you keep these separate. If a man therefore purge himself from these, that is to say, if the vessel of honor will stay away from the vessel of dishonor, if you keep your wine glass out of the spittoon, then he will be sanctified, that is, set apart, set apart for use, and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. But if you put the wine glass in the spittoon, you can no longer use it for wine. And if you put the dinner plate with the ashtray, put the ashtray on the dinner plate, you can no longer use the dinner plate for dinner. It has become contaminated. Evil spread, evil spreads, good does not, maintaining separation from the world, in the world but not of the world, using this world but not abusing this world, reaching this world but not joining this world. If we continue to do such things, if we keep ourselves away from association with with vessels of dishonor, we can be useful to God, fit for the Master's use. And let that be really something that bears down in and weighs upon us, because here Abraham and Lot had to go their separate ways, and Abram let Lot choose the way that he went, but he certainly did not follow him there, as so many do today, and say, what can I do? He's my nephew. Uh, I need to be with him as Lot went toward Sodom. It tells us Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, in the midst of his enemies, and and in the cities of the plain and, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pinched his pitched his tent toward Sodom, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord. They were very wicked sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram after that, Lot was separated from him. Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that a man can number the dust of the earth. Then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is Hebron, and there built an altar unto the Lord. So here's Abram in Mamre. This is a wonderful place for Abram, Abram to be, the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron. This is where he fellowships with God. And God immediately confirms to Abram as he confesses that he's a an alien, he's a, he's a stranger and a pilgrim following the word of the Lord. The Lord brings his word and his promise to Abram. Friend of mine, do you hear the Lord's voice? Uh, my Christian friend, do you hear God speak to you when you read the Scriptures? Do you have uh, an enjoyment in the Scriptures? When you read them, do you realize this is the voice of God? Abram received confirming uh, word from God as he sojourned in the in the midst, by the way, of a land he never possessed, in the midst of a land that was promised to him but which was occupied 
with the enemies of God. And he walked through that land, uh, setting his soul on feet, uh, his, the feet of his, uh, uh, the, the soles of his feet on land that he never possessed in person, but that he possessed in promise as it was promised to his seed. Well, Abram now seemed to be clearly a picture of the one not only called, but called out and maintaining his separation so that he's usable by the Lord. And he doesn't despise his brother Lot, which his brother, his nephew. Uh, No, he just had to let him go his own way because it was a way that he could not go. Abram was not going to go into the way of Sodom. He was going to be a pilgrim and a stranger. And now we have these wonderful words that uh, mean so much to us. It came to pass, and it came to pass. So here's this time of trouble. It came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. This is uh, probably, Amraphel is probably uh, Hammurabi, the king of Babylon. Uh, King of Shinar, here called Shinar, we know it to be Babylon. Uh, In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariot, king of Alasar, Kedor Laamor, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of the nations. This is uh, probably these nations are likely to be the same ones we saw before, which were the Kurds. Here we have these kings associated uh, with Babylon and king of Persia and the king of the Kurds, these same people which are in the news today that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, and Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the Vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. If you've ever been there, I'll tell you, you can't see it the way it was for this battle, because uh, when this war took place, it was before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. But if you were going to go down to the Valley of Siddim, or the Siddim today, which is the Salt Sea, and you see that that place, I'll tell you, uh, it'll it'll be a real memorable visit for you to see what when God brings down fire and turns something into a a stinking desert. It is a stinking desert. Here it says, twelve years these kings in verse in in verse four served Kedarlaomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. There we have the the number of rebellion, the number 13. And in the 14th year came Kedarlaomer and the kings that were with him and smote the Rephaims in Ashtaroth. Now there you have those Rephaims. These are part of the Nephilim or the fallen ones. They're back. They're back. In fact, uh, that's what the Tower of Babel was intended to do, was to build communion between men and demons. And don't you think for a minute that that has stopped Men today in our country are having communion and fellowship with demons all the time. You walk around the streets of Omaha, for example, you'll find many demonized people. Uh, I come across demonized people from time to time. I have no doubt about that. In fact, I'll tell you this, I've had extensive conversations with police who don't know what to do with these people, who know Some of the police know that these are demonized people walking around in our midst. Now, maybe you think that they're all walking around as uh, some kind of destitute people 
or uh, obviously insane people, but not all that have communion with demons are in such condition. Let me assure you, there are systematic ways that demons do teach our society, and their inroads are great. And uh, here we find Keter Laramore and the kings that were with him, they had to go fight the Rephaims in, in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, and the Zuzims. Now, that's another, bri- that's another branch. So we have the Rephaims, that's one branch of the Nephilim. Here they have to fight the Zuzims in Ham. So the Zuzims got going. Those are, that's another branch of the Nephilim. And the Emims in Sheva Kiriathim. So we find three branches of these Rephaim, these Nephilim, the superhuman beings that we've talked about that were also called the Anakim or the Rapha that we've discussed before. And here Keter Laomor and the kings were with him had to go fight and knock those fellows out. And uh, even including the, the now well-known Zamzumans. And uh, they also fought the Horites in their Mount Seir, which is by the wilderness. So these offspring of angel- angels rose up again, and even uh, Keter Laomor and the kings of him, with him uh, defeated them. And now it says that in verse 8, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and the king of Zeboim joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim with Keter and his bunch, and the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain, and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and their victuals, and they took Lot. So here's Lot, loving the world. He Last time we saw him, he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Next thing we know, he falls in the slime pits of Sodom with the king of Sodom, and somebody escapes and tells Abram, where he's called for the first time, Abram the Hebrew. Abram, the guy passing through. He's, he's the Hebrew. They tell him that we got a problem. Your nephew Lot has been snatched up with the king of Sodom. And I'll tell you, here's where we find out a little bit more about Abram. Because he's a man that pays attention to God, he's available to be a blessing to his brother who has fallen. 